I think I'm on. Now I'm on. Okay, good. So I did get a call Friday night, and uh, I asked Mr. Jackson what I could do for him, and he just started with a giggle. That's how you know you're in trouble, right? So, so here I am. Uh, so there's no message or no outline in the bulletin, no wonderful PowerPoint slides to follow. It's just you and the Word of God, and unfortunately me today. But you know, that's not a bad thing. I think to myself, I'm unworthy, right? I'm, I'm not a preacher. Uh, this is not going to go well. But you know what? Our God is amazing. And in fact, He chooses things that the world despises. He chooses the small, insignificant things to reach us. Why? Because in the end, you can't say it was this person. That, that would be ridiculous. You would have to say it's God. Uh, the book of Judges is filled with characters that are so unlikely, uh, unlikely heroes. You know, little Gideon, threshing wheat, hiding down in the valley, right? And God shows up to him and says, you mighty man of valor. And, you know, I can see him looking left and looking right. You know, and uh, I'm the least of the least tribe. You've got the wrong guy, right? But that's how our God works. Uh, and I think we have a God of humor. People look at Samson, the judge, as a big, strong, mighty man. I think he was a lot like Don Knotts. I do. I think he was this frail little character that you would never, you know, the, the Philistines would look at this guy and say, oh, put your sword away. Let's go thump this guy over the head and get on with it, you know. But I think that's how God works. In fact, he tells us that's how he works. So that's the only reason I'm not uh, too nervous this morning is because I'm in a good spot for God to use me today because Sometimes we're too much, right? We're too good. We're too, too big on ourselves. You know, we think we need a better program. We need a better book. We need to go to a better pastor or a better, a better teacher. My friends, we need God. That's all we need, right? And only God can change us. That book can't change us. That better program cannot change us. Only God can change us. If it's change that matters. And so I want to come to you this morning... Um, Ultimately, my message, and I'm a wanderer, sorry, that's the way it's going to be. Ultimately, my message is supposed to be on the goodness of God. Uh, so, Ryan, if I don't get there, just, just throw something to remind me we're supposed to be talking about the goodness of God because I'm a rabbit hole kind of a, kind of a guy. I'll start something and go off on a rabbit hole. I'd like to, to begin our discussion and our time this morning and ask you how you're doing in life. You know, the Scripture explains to us that we all come into this world disconnected from God. Spiritually dead is what the Scripture says, but that means disconnected. Death in Scripture is a disconnection. And we come into this world disconnected because of Adam and because of our forefathers. We are born in sin. We are disconnected from God. I like um, working with power tools uh, I think tools are cool, they're just so manly, right? You can get a better tool, a bigger tool, it breaks concrete or drills a bigger hole or whatever it does, right? Tools are cool. Um, and, and think of all the things in your home that are designed to be plugged in, designed to work on alternating current, typically 110-ish volts. Um, but, but think of some things in your home. What's your favorite thing in your home that you need power for? Nobody's going to say anything, because that's the way it always works, right? Maybe some of you are gamers, and you say, my computer, right? i got to plug my computer in, otherwise it's battery-powered, and that doesn't last long. Maybe it's your router. Maybe it's your vacuum cleaner. Nobody would say that one, right? That's never your favorite tool. 
But there are tools, microwaves, there's all kinds of tools designed to be plugged in. Power tools in the garage, right? There's tons of them. Many of them are cordless nowadays, battery powered, but let's talk about powered or cord AC powered tools. I think that it would be silly if a tool had the ability to say, I'm not going to plug into power anymore. I'm going to make that choice. I'm going to disconnect the power. And I'm not going to run on power. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to come up with my own power. A tool that's designed to run on power that doesn't work anymore, it's not plugged in, cannot be plugged in. If you plug it in, it doesn't work. What good is it? It's, it's almost silly, right? It's ridiculous to look at a microwave that doesn't work. What are you going to do with that microwave? You're going to throw it away. It's garbage. You know, our lives are very similar. We were created by God Almighty with a design and a purpose. But also, He designed us to be plugged into Him as a power source. That's the only way we will ever recognize what we're capable of. What were we designed for? So how are you doing today? How are you doing in this life? You know, we all come into this world the same way. We're all disconnected from God. And you know what? Life seems pointless. Life seems ridiculous. Why am I here? I'm just wasting my time. And it's very depressing. But I want to praise the Lord this morning that there is such a thing as truth. And that's not very popular today, is it? Truth is whatever you say it is. Truth is, is subjective. It's whatever you make it. So many of the things that we read in the Word of God, if you approach it as, well, that's what you say, or that's how you see it. But that's not the case with the Word of God. You see, it is truth. And it is a place that we can go to understand that we are like a power tool. We were created for a purpose and for a reason. In fact, the word sanctify means to be set apart for God's use. So say I'm a circle saw until I figure that out and plug myself back into God. I don't even have a clue what I'm good for. I don't even understand that. Again, how worthless is a circle saw that doesn't function? You can't power it up. And I think God is amazing, right? He created us in His image with a purpose, but He also gave us that ability to disconnect ourselves from our God. And so I want to look into uh, the character of God this morning. Um, I want to get to the place anyway where we're looking at the goodness of God. You know, there are a great many sources of information we could go to to look for the character of God, right? We could poll, we could, we could ask people on the street, but obviously <clears throat> we might not get an accurate picture, right? And so, when we discover as people that the Word of God is actually God's Word, God is completely capable of communication, right? And He did so clearly in His Word. And when we accept that and receive that as truth, I think that, as Jesus said, He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full and have it abundantly to discover and purpose and use and reconnect with our Creator is an awesome thing. It's a life-changing event to find your purpose 
and your reason. I would like you to turn with me to John 17. We'll start there. John 17 is a classic passage where Jesus points to the Word of God. And He asks, and He's praying here, and He's just about to leave, essentially. He's leaving His disciples behind in John 17. Uh, I'm using the New King James Version. You can use whatever you got, obviously, or maybe a Bible near you. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get you one. Because we're gonna, you're going to be exercised a little bit. This, I don't mean like demonically, but you will be exercised this morning, um, flipping through the pages. So in John 17, Jesus is speaking this, these words. He lifted up his eyes in verse 1 to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Um, and he goes on, so, so what we see here is Jesus is praying, and he's praying for his disciples, and he mentions several times in here that he delivered the Word of God to these disciples. And throughout his ministry, we get a lot of clues where he is delivering exactly, carefully, the Word of God that God gave him to deliver to these disciples. And so he's leaving, and in verse 17, this is definitely a classic verse um, about the truth of the Word of God. Jesus prays, sanctify, and again, that's the idea of setting someone apart or something apart for God's use. Again, that's the circle saw thing. That's finding our purpose. So Jesus prays, sanctify, in verse 17, sanctify them, that would be his disciples, by your truth. Your word any plainer. So if we agree that the word of God is truth, at least we agree with Jesus on this. Now you say, uh, Terry, this you just said was to the disciples. That's a very special group that doesn't apply to me. Well, look at verse 20. Jesus went on to say, I do not pray for these alone, but also for who will believe in me through their word. And that's us. So it also clearly applies to us. Remember I said God is capable of communication. He designed it, right? He knows what he says. He means what he says, and he says what he means. That's the way it works. If you and I are capable of any communication, it's because he placed it within us, because we are in his image. Take a look at verse 3. I want to try to narrow my, my thinking down and your thinking down a little bit this morning. When you think of eternal life, you think of eternal life. Maybe you think of John 3.16, right? And you, you have these verses that mention eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And when you think of eternal life, what do you think of? Look at what Jesus says here in John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's praying to the Father, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God. Think about how unsearchable we read this morning, we saw this morning in our call to worship, how unsearchable God is. And yet Jesus says, to know God is eternal life. For eternity we're going to be able to learn about the goodness, the character. We're actually going to learn some things in eternity. Let's uh, 
Well, I guess we could always, I want to remind you this morning that uh, most churches across America are pretty much gone. The old-time churches have the old-time saints, and they're just about done, aren't we? We're just about finished, and that's very, very common in our nation. So we have issues. We don't have to look far to figure that out. We've got heart problems. We've got cancer. We've got, you name it, the list goes on and on and on and on, right? That's just who we are, and that's what we're dealing with daily. And that's what we're praying for each other about daily. Think about Revelation chapter 21, right? I flipped to the end of the book. Sometimes it's nice to see how this all ends. We have to encourage ourselves from time to time. Revelation 21 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. I don't know if you guys like fishing, but there's not going to be any sea fishing, so you might want to rethink this whole thing. But anyway, there's no more sea. But there's a river. I think I can still fly fish, but I don't know about the sea thing. It says there's no more sea in verse 1. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, God's program is not to make us healthy in this life forever. His program is not to band-aid us up and fix us at all here. His plan is to give us a new body. His plan is to get rid of this old nature that we carry around. There's no fix for it. It must die. It must go. But that's the price of sin. That's, that's what we yet have to face. But there is a day coming. Uh, I lost a dog recently. I had to put her down. Oh, what a painful experience, right? If you've ever done that. Sorrow uh, and, and so on. But obviously, it's a dog. But we've all experienced even more emotional and personal things. But to think that that stuff won't be anymore, to me, is pretty encouraging. I can barely imagine that kind of day that's coming for us. So I hope you needed some encouragement this morning, but that was that's just uh, something that I, I like to keep before us. You know, the other great chapter I like to look at from time to time is Genesis chapter 1. About the only two chapters in Scripture, the very beginning and the very end, is not filled with sin and man's problems. Uh, it's God's original intent and then God's fix for all of it. Everything in between is a bunch of garbage that we deal with every day, pretty much. Okay, um, if I ask you to define God, or if you know God, wow, that's almost offensive, isn't it? For people that have been going to church for years, you might be offended. Well, don't you know I'm the pastor's son? Don't you know I've been coming to church for 25 years faithfully? Don't you know that I'm a deacon? Don't you know that I've taught a Sunday school class? And do you see where we would, wait a minute. I'm asking if you know God. Do you know God? What kinds of responses do you think you might get? Maybe I could ask you that and, and give you time to go home uh, and think about it. Do you know God? But it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? 
Jesus said to know God is eternal life. It's going to take us a long time. So I guess my question this morning is, have you begun that journey? Do you know God? What a question. What about the character of God? If you were asked to define the character of God, what terms would you use? I want to share with you something that um, I would almost say changed my life. It's a, it's a scripture passage in, in, uh, in the book of Exodus. So if you want to start heading there, we're going to cover a lot of verses today in a hurry just to set the background. But I want to go to the book of Exodus and I want to focus in a little bit again on Moses. This leader that had the horrible responsibility of leading between one and two million people, a bunch of people, through the desert for 40 years, right? Essentially, they were going from Egypt, where they were released from bondage, and going to the promised land. But he has this duty. You know, there was a point in Moses' life when he felt he was ready to do that job. And what did he do? He slew an Egyptian uh, lord that was beating up on one of the Hebrews. And that's what he did. And, and he rose up in strength. And I'll bet you Moses was a pretty capable guy. Looking at his background and the training that he would have received in Egypt. Um, I think he was pretty, a pretty formidable opponent. And he was ready to lead. But you know, God said, no, you're not ready. In fact, I'm going to send you to the backside of the desert for 40 years and then you'll be ready. See, right now you're too much. You're too strong. If you were to lead my people out of Egypt, what might they say? Moses did it. You know what I mean? He's a pretty capable fella. But God is the one that's going to do it. If any change is going to take place, God must be the one that does it. And if God makes a change in our lives, He likes to use insignificant things, things that aren't so crazy uh, impressive. Probably when um, Moses came back some 40 years later, he was probably a different character, right? Shriveled up old prune that had been in the desert herding sheep for 40 years. He was a different looking character. Uh, so anyway, this is the setting that we're going to. So how do we, what would we choose? How would we define God? How would we describe him? And I would, to me, I think it would be great if we could interview God. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, just Lord, you know, God Almighty, would you sit down with me and then just give me a basic definition, description of who you are so that I could know you better. And that he would grant that interview would be crazy, right? Wow, we'd be way ahead of the game. We'd know what's going on. My friends, that has already happened. Moses asked to know God better. And God granted that interview. And it's recorded for us in Exodus. I don't know if you know it's there, but it's a great place to learn about who God is. So by way of review, Exodus chapter 19, we're reminded that the children of Israel, God's chosen people, are finally out of Egypt. They've been in bondage and in slavery for 400 years, exactly as God had predicted many years before to Abraham, the father of the, that Jewish nation. 
So they're on their way out. Exodus chapter 19, uh, first couple of verses. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So they've stopped. They've started their journey. They've left Egypt, but they've come to this Mount Sinai region, and there they're camping. So that's kind of the beginning of the backdrop. And I want to build this interview that I'm talking about, build up the background so you can see what's going on when this interview takes place. <clears throat> and so at this point in time, God is actually beginning to give his word to deliver um, all of the different uh, rules and regulations, the Ten Commandments and such, to Moses. And Moses is continually delivering them to the people. And the people are continually saying, oh yes, praise the Lord, this is wonderful. Of course we're going to do exactly what God wants us to do. We're all in, Moses. You just go talk to God. Don't let God be in our midst personally like he had intended to. He's, no, you just go up on the mountain. You go talk to God. and You deliver what God says to us. We will gladly accept that. Just leave us out of this whole smoke and fire and, and craziness thing. We'll trust you. We believe you. We know you're God's servant. Yes, in fact, we will do it. Um, and so we're in this process of, uh, now let me stop talking and start looking here, right around chapter 24. Let's speed up to a few chapters here. <clears throat> so we see a call to worship in Exodus 24. So Moses has already gone up onto Mount Sinai. He's already received the Ten Commandments. But the Lord comes to Moses here in chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from the altar, or I'm sorry, worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, and the people, or nor the people, go up with him. All right, so God is telling Moses, come on back up. I want you and the elders um, and, and uh, a few other, a couple other guys there. I want you to come up and worship from afar, but then I need you to come on in. I've got some more information. And we see at the end of chapter 24, verse 18, So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, this is after that worship from afar, and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so Moses here has left other people behind that are in charge, and he takes off, and he goes in closer, but he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> let's speed up, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but let's speed up again to chapter 31. So Moses is up on the mountain, and we see all through Let's see, I think it's 31 through about 33 or so. I actually have notes if I would only look at them. Uh, let's see here. Well, we can certainly flip through our Bibles if you have the headings. Um, we're going to see that there is instruction while Moses is on the mountain for 40 days. He's receiving instruction. I'm looking at chapter 30, the altar of incense. 
uh, ransom money, the bronze laver, holy anointing oil. He's receiving uh, the uh, instruction for the building of the tabernacle and, there, and several other things. So he's receiving the law for these 40 days and 40 nights. Well, let's take a look at what else is going on. See, Moses is up on the top of the mountain communicating with God. And can you imagine what that was like? That's very difficult, right, for us to fathom what that experience must have been like for Moses to be on the mountaintop receiving the Word of God and scratching down all this instruction, right, for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, meanwhile, back at the camp, right, or back at the ranch, what is happening? Um, if we see verse 30, I'm sorry, chapter 32, verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. It says, As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Notice there, that God is giving plans. We have revelation. God is saying, this is how you will worship me. And He's giving the truth to Moses. But man, down at the bottom, right, at the campsite, they're inventing a, a good way to worship that makes sense to them. And you can see the contrast, right? We have God-given uh, directives for things in life, and then we have what makes sense to us. Right? This makes good sense. I can't believe that our forefathers were so, were so goofy. Right? They were so stuck in their ways. And so let's add this. Let's add PowerPoint. And let's add this. And let's add that. And let's have a better program. And we can do this better. And see, there's a way that makes sense to us. And I'm not saying I'm not knocking technology. I'm not knocking a better program. But sometimes we lose sight of what's important. We lose sight of God. And so. I like, well, I don't like it, but I notice in this passage that the, the exact words that are used here are that Moses brought us up out of Egypt. See, this man Moses, he's the one that brought us up out of Egypt. And I think God heard that because we're going to see an exchange of words here in this chapter. Uh, so anyway, we do know that uh, Aaron goes on to fashion this golden calf. In verse 5, it says, So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a, pro a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. All right, so here's this new idol, here's this new God, and we're going to have a great feast to the Lord, uh, he says. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, so Moses is up on the mountaintop, right, having a wonderful experience. He's having this spiritual high uh, up on the mountain with God Almighty, direct communication. And God says to Moses, Get down. Go get down. For your, notice that, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So God kind of ends the... the uh, whatever, you know, the 40-day uh, get-together that they had, and he says, Moses, you need to get down because your people that you let out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And so they get on down off the mountain, and this is, again, setting the stage for this interview that I mentioned earlier. So to speed ahead, we find 
that Moses deals very harshly with these people. Thousands were slain that day. He deals very harshly with this situation. That's no joke. They didn't just sit down and get a good talking to. I mean, this was incredibly serious. Uh, and we, you can read through that if you ever have the time to do so. Um, so let's look at um, verse 12. And Moses said to the Lord, Okay, so we're getting ready to, to have this interview. Uh, before that, I like what Moses does. In chapter 33, verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. <laughs> That's never a good sign, right? When your leader distances himself from the crowd, right? But he does that in order to be able to put some space between himself and these people that are in a bad spot right now. So verse 7 tells us Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, <laughs> and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, every man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So this gives us a, a little view into the lives of the relationship that Moses and Joshua here have with God. But moving along in this story, if I can keep it going, verse 12, okay, this is where we get to, to the meat of the message. Then Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. Okay, you see, previously the Lord had said, after this calf incident, God said, I'm not going with you, right? Moses, you can take your people and head on out through the desert, because I'm not going to go with you. These people are going to upset me, and I'm going to smoke them. I'm going to torch them. They're going to be gone. It's not going to be good. I'm not going with you. But Moses says, wait a minute. If you don't go with us, you can count me out. See, I was there, Lord, right? I was there in Egypt dealing with the Pharaoh, and I know it wasn't me. And I know if you weren't there, we would have never escaped. And Moses is wise enough at this point to say, wait a minute. If you don't go with us, I'm not going. Count me out. But more than that, you see what Moses is asking here. Moses knows he's in a tough spot with these people and with God because God says, I'm done. You do it yourself. And Moses says, you know what? What I need in this situation? Moses says, God, I need to know you. If I could just see your character and just get to know you, 
I might know how to approach you better. I might better represent this people to you and you to this people. So that's what Moses is asking here. He says again in in 13, he says, basically, Lord, you've told me, Moses is saying to God Almighty, you've told me I've found grace in your sight. But you know what? I need to know you. My friends, have you found the grace of God? Are you here this morning and you believe you've found the grace of God? Can you agree or echo Moses' call? You know what? Just because I've experienced the grace of God based on Scripture, do I know God? Could I know Him better? And I think it's so important, especially for Moses in this particular situation. So do you see what he's asking for? He says, I want to know you better. Verse 13, once again, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I might know you, and that I might find grace in your sight. Yes, we've discovered the grace of God, but if we know God better, we'll be able to better approach Him, better relate to Him, and guess what? I'm going to need more grace in the future, and knowing God better is going to help me do that. And so that's Moses' plea. Move on to chapter 34. So God graciously grants his request. He says, all right, Moses, first of all, I am going to go with you. I will, I'm with you. We're going to do this together. I am going to lead my people. I'm back on, right? This, this thing is going to happen again. And, and I will lead you through the wilderness. So that's one thing that he says. So God is going to go with him. Look at um, Exodus 34, chapter 4. Moses is finishing up. It says, So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two stone tablets. What happened to the other tablets? Do you recall? Moses had had about enough. He says, you know, this is ridiculous. I've got all this law and all this stuff we're supposed to do. Look at these crazy people. I mean, this is worthless, right? And he smashes the Ten Commandments. And God brings that up. You know, you'll see that in the passage. But anyway, he has two new stone tablets. I'd love to go down this rabbit trail of Moses cutting the stone. But anyway, let's not go there. Uh, Verse 4, so he did that and he goes up the mountain. And here is this interview. So Moses has asked God to reveal himself to Moses that he would know him better. Right? That's what Moses is asking for. God has granted this request. Here it is. This is God introducing, defining, describing himself, his characters, his trait in one sentence. Right? It's a bit of an extended sentence. But think about that. If you were to define or describe yourself, your whole person, who you are, In one sentence, no more, what would you include? Well, this is God doing just that. Okay, so he boils his character down, and this is what he says. In Exodus 34, verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is the Lord proclaiming the name of the Lord. Basically, he's introducing himself to Moses. Isn't this crazy? This far into his life and into this whole uh, saga. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, here we go, merciful and gracious, long-suffering 
and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. My friends, I don't know if you've ever noticed these verses are here, but they're worth studying. They're worth getting to know who God is. This is a small passage tucked away, an obscure Old Testament passage, right? But it is God introducing Himself to Moses. I think we can learn from this passage. He says, I am merciful. I'm merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? You don't get what you deserve, right? We don't get what we deserve. Praise God. Are you honest enough to look at yourself and say, Praise God, I don't get what I deserve. Hallelujah. Okay, that's merciful. Gracious. Not only does God not give us what we deserve, He's willing to give us what we do not deserve. When you look at the principle of justification, it's not just that God forgives my sin, but He accounts the righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account. That's grace. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He is merciful. He is gracious. You know what God says here? Several other things. He says, yeah, I'm merciful and I'm gracious, but I'm fair. If somebody does what they're not supposed to do, and they do not approach me for mercy and for grace, they will be dealt with accordingly. He's fair. He doesn't just open the back door and let you in against His fairness, but He makes it possible for us to be forgiven and to receive the righteousness of Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But it goes on. Right? It goes on. If we don't believe, we're condemned already. We're that power tool that's decided to never connect to God. We're worthless. See, we're condemned already. We're never going to find our purpose. And many people will never find their purpose because they refuse to understand original design. God is our designer and our source of power, and they refuse that. And some people will never, ever get to know God. But John 3.16 is a great passage, but again, uh, he goes on to explain to us that Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn you. Yeah, you're a bunch of worthless circle saws and vacuums and stuff, but I didn't show this. I'm not here now to throw you away, to put you in the dumpster. I'm here to explain to you what's wrong with you. And that's God's love that's doing that. And so He provided the sacrifice and such and delivered the Father's Word so that we could understand what's happening so that He could be able to say, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So we see the character of God here. I want to pull out one thing, one characteristics. God says, I abound in goodness and in truth. Okay, what does that mean? I think when God says, I abound... It's different than maybe what I think of when I say I abound in something. When God Almighty, the creator of the universe, says he abounds in something, we might need further clarification. 
So in Matthew chapter 19, I want to just draw your attention to a brief encounter. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus, Matthew chapter 19. Ryan told me this morning that good preachers close seven times. So here comes the first, first closure. That's what he told me. I'm pretty sure it's true. Matthew chapter 19, I think I said. Okay, so Matthew chapter 19 is here somewhere. Some people are smart enough to mark these passages before they start. Matthew chapter 19, okay, verses 16 and 17. So I believe that Jesus is going to give us further description on the goodness of God. Watch for it here. So it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, that's Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Okay, so that's this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to him, Good teacher, what good thing must I do essentially to have a good life? I mean, I changed the wording there. But do you see how it is desirable for us to have a good life? And so how are we going to do that? Well, let's go to a good teacher. And let's add some good thing to our lives so that we could have a good life. And what does Jesus say? Um, So we look at verse 17. I think Jesus basically stopped in deadness tracks and and had had to point this out. And it's very important. I believe this is revolutionary. I believe it will change your life if you understand what's here. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Do you catch that? Do you understand that? No one is good. You see, that's a different definition. Our definition of good is somewhere between bad and perfect. It's good. Can you make yourself good? Of course you can make yourself good. Go to a good teacher. Grab a good book. Add some good works to your life. Jesus says, oh no, friend, you can stop right there. There is only one source of goodness, and it's God Almighty. My friends, if you don't connect to God Almighty, you will never experience goodness. When you look at original intent and original design, we were designed by God to be an extension of who He is and what He has. His goodness, His mercy, truth. We can never generate those things in ourselves. He designed us. And if we do not connect, reconnect with Him, You will never have those things. Never. And Jesus, I think, is saying that very clearly. You see, Jesus could have said, Wow, good job, buddy. Not too many people recognize me as good. Right? But He takes this opportunity to point out something much larger. Only God is the source of goodness. And when you think of the character of God, think of what is only available through Him. You know, the, the, the Scriptures talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc., etc. These are tremendous things. But you see, they're the fruit of God 
working in us, right? We are connected to Him, then we receive these things that only He supplies. So, that's my challenge this morning. Uh, the character of God is, is not something that's just out there, cool stuff to know. It is a repository. It is a source of something we need that we do have access through. So you're going to spend the rest of your life as a circle saw that's useless, that will be thrown in the dumpster unless you connect to God Almighty or will you discover your purpose, the reason that you're here. I pray that you do. It's a different life. It's an abundant life. And only God offers it to us. You'll never find it anywhere else. Thank you.